pleasure to be with you today. I appreciate the invitation of your elders for me to share this important day with you, emphasizing fortifying the family. I hope our time together during the Bible class hour were uh, a discussion of things that were helpful to all of us. God needs all of us to be who we need to be, doing what we need to do in His cause. I need to make a correction since it was emphasized that we have someone here who on Valentine's Day will be married 69 years. And it was emphasized, the reason for that is he hasn't died yet. I don't want to die early. And so I guess the bio I sent Doug was a little out of date. Um, he announced that Denise and I have been married 42 years and she passed me a note. It's 46 years. Um, we'll be 47 in August, and so uh, I'd like to make it to 69, and uh, so uh, it stands corrected. Uh, Doug and I do go back a long way, and uh, remember that young couple. One thing I learned about uh, Doug, I know all of you know, and... Um, his father, uh, Kelby Smith, held a number of gospel meetings at Blackwater when I was there. And I consider him to be one of my mentors. He's kind of a walking Bible. And he can quote uh, in 10 minutes more scripture than I can read in a week. And uh, just a great gospel preacher, a great influence in my life. And I know you know that Doug is, when it comes to doctrinal matters, is as sound as they come. He's not going to compromise God's word. He's going to preach it forcefully and correctly and lovingly. <clears throat> but I think what you also know by now, you've been here long enough, that when he comes to sports, Doug is a Calvinistic premillennialist. <laughs> He's Calvinistic in the sense that he thinks Alabama is predestinated to win. And once they win, they cannot lose. And he's premillennialist in the sense that he believes that Alabama is going to reign on the earth a thousand years. <laughs> and uh, if you read after him any of his posts, you kind of get that feeling. Uh, when he uh, replaced me at Blackwater, Macedonia, one of the first impressions when I came back to visit is I went in what used to be my office and I didn't recognize it any longer. And that's when I first recognized in my conversation with him and paying attention to him that that's a pretty fitting description of him. He's, uh, he's definitely a loyal fan. As we emphasize during our Bible class hour, if we're going to fortify our families, and we're talking about fortifying, we're talking about strengthening. And if we think about fortification in the proper manner, it's not only to make stronger, but it's also to make stronger for the benefit and purpose of protection. And we want to fortify our families in that way, and we can't do that if, if we're not the individuals we ought to be. If we're not whole and unique in the Lord's service, and if we don't look at ourselves the way the first couple was. And I recognize that God made them completely whole and unique. But He ordained a means where we are to produce after ourselves and in that template. We are then to be able to leave our father and mother and we are to cleave to each other and provide for each other in that marital relationship everything God intended for us to have. And with that, not only do we recognize that we have to 
understand and know who we are. But we have to know who we're committed to. Adam and Eve were committed to God. And as long as they were committed to God, they had everything God wanted them to have in that garden. And they could eat of the tree of life and everything else in that garden was theirs for their good. It was only when they forgot who they were to have commitment to that they diminished, weakened their relationship with each other. And so we are to pay attention to those things and make sure that we are everything God wants us to be individually. If that's the case, then we give life, we give birth to a relationship that is uniquely ours. When Doug introduced me, he said, Jerry and Denise. You see, Denise didn't cease being Denise when she married Jerry. And Jerry didn't cease being Jerry when he married Denise. We are Jerry and Denise. I mentioned Doug and Jody. Now we recognize them as a married couple and in that relationship as husband and wife, they're totally committed to the relationship they gave birth to. Denise and I are totally committed to the marriage that we gave birth to, but we don't cease being those individuals that will answer to God for our lives, for our commitment to Him, which allows us then to make a commitment to our relationship. You see, when you say, I do, then you give life to that relationship. And it's much like giving birth to a child. It's here. When Denise and I were expecting our first child, I had this image, first of all, before I married, had this image of marriage. I knew everything I wanted my wife to provide for me. Didn't give a whole lot of thought to what she might expect me to provide for her. But thankfully, we grew up together, spiritually speaking, and we strove to be who God wanted us to be. But we were expecting our first child. I had this picture in my mind. I wanted our first one to be a boy, and you know, I wanted it to do things with me, and I had all these images. And in my mind, I had this photograph of what our family would look like. And I have green eyes, so I was just convinced my son was going to have green eyes. My wife said, you know, she's brown-eyed, and I love her beautiful brown eyes. But she said, you know, brown is the dominant color, so I don't want you to be disappointed. So the likelihood he's going to have brown eyes. And I couldn't have been more pleased when the first child was a boy and he had green eyes. But you see, when he arrived, it wasn't a photograph. He cried. He cried a lot. He cried in hours when I was trying to sleep. That wasn't the image that I had in my mind. Now all of a sudden, he's here. I wanted him to be here. I looked for him to be here. I prayed for him to be here safely. And now he's here. Nobody's going to disregard the fact that he's here. He's going to let everybody know he's here. You see, there came responsibility, commitment to God in who I was supposed to be as a husband and father and who my wife was supposed to be as a wife and mother. In that context, we could, I could have, just expected my wife to always respond when my son cried. He would have physically survived. He would have had the things that he needed physically speaking. But he would have always grown up thinking, you know, when I needed someone, my mother always responded. 
I wonder why Daddy never did. And maybe then have some doubts if I ever cry in life, if I ever really need somebody in life, I'm not sure if I can depend on my daddy or not. You see, once that child got here, it was here, and it depended totally upon us for its survival. He was going to be weak or strong, healthy or unhealthy. He's going to have everything he needed or be neglected, all dependent upon the two who gave him life. Somehow we don't see marital relationships that way. We do have this photograph view of this healthy spouse, of enjoying life together, but we don't always anticipate that there may be occasions where that marital relationship cries. It needs something. And in a lot of marriages, one spouse may always respond when the relationship cries. And you might be married 69 years, if that's the case. If one's willing to respond every time it cries. But the other one will always wonder. I wonder why. They don't love me the way I love them. I wonder why they never respond when I cry. You see, when I counsel with people, those are conversations that we have. When people are having marital problems. Something else, when that child was born, he sold himself. And I have some preacher friends that have declared that it wasn't ever their job to change diapers. That just wasn't a manly thing to do. And they were kind of shocked that I changed diapers. I said, well, I felt like you had a couple of choices. Number one, I couldn't stand the smell and I didn't want it to continue. And so I want to rid the environment of the smell. I'm going to change the diaper. And by the way, for you young people, you don't have a clue what I'm about to say. For those who are older will immediately have flashbacks and I can provide counseling during lunch if it's traumatic to you. But we had cloth diapers back in those days, which means you had to use them again. So you had to remove the soil from the diaper and wash them and use them again. That wasn't a pleasant process. That's not something that my wife said, oh, that's my job, don't you dare do that. That's my role and don't you get in my way. You see, when that child sold itself, somebody had to respond and, and to clean it up. That never was something that I enjoyed doing, but that's something I wanted to get done and get over with and out of the way so that I could enjoy my, my son. And to me, there's nothing more enjoyable than after you have cleaned up a soil child and you bathe it. And at that time, we used to use that little Johnson's baby lotion. And their hair is all squeaky clean and they're all happy and they're smiling and they just smell so good. That doesn't happen unless you're willing to address their needs. Sometimes in marriages, they saw themselves not pleasant. Nobody really wants to deal with it. They want to ignore it. And when they do, neglect occurs. And they get to where they not want to be around each other. And people around them don't want to be around them because 
the marriage is neglected. I don't think it's by accident when you look at the passage that was read from Ephesians chapter 5, that that's generally where we always go when we're talking about the ultimate picture, spiritually speaking, of marriage. That that's what it should look like when you give life to a relationship. That it should look like Christ's relationship to His church. You see, spiritually speaking, He removed us from being soiled. He cleansed us from our sins and He made us pure in His eyes. And the one relationship on the face of the planet that allows us to represent to the world around us what Christ's relationship to His church should be and ought to be is in our marriages. And sometimes we don't give enough effort and enough time and energy in those relationships that make them what they ought to be. If we're not those whole, complete, unique individuals that we should be spiritually, then that relationship's never going to be as healthy as it ought to be. And in that context, we bring into that relationship that spiritual genetics. Now, Denise and I can look at our children in different occasions, in different contexts, I can see her in my children. And when they're misbehaving, she can see me in our children. There are some physical genetics that take place. If you haven't noticed yet, I'm kind of duck feet. When I walk, my feet are kind of like that. I wear off the heels of my shoes. My oldest son, guess what? They were lined up in high school, had this game where they're behind the curtain and, and the football uh, seniors had to come by and guess whose feet they saw. And when they got to my son, they said, Paul Martin. And he said, how did you know? And he said, nobody else in school has duck feet like that. Guess where he got those? Well, sometimes genetically we receive things we just really rather not have from our parents. And we go to the doctor and they have this big form that we fill out and you have checked these boxes about your family medical history. Why is that? You're the one at the doctor. Why are they asking about your family? Because there's some genetic issues that you need to be aware of. Is there a history of diabetes in your family? Is there a history of heart disease in your family? And they ask all these questions so that they can give you the best care. And if there are things you might have a propensity to have issues with, you want to address those. The same is true spiritually. Since we looked at Ephesians chapter 5, I want to briefly rehearse with you something that you're familiar with from Luke chapter 2. might not be something that we would normally look at, but when you're thinking about who we're responsible to, who it is that we have committed ourselves to, we can look at this Lord Jesus Christ who is the husband of this spiritual bride, the church, that tells us how we are to treat each other as spouses. And you go back and you look at his preparation for that spiritual marriage and you have him going into Jerusalem with his family and they were providing for him spiritual guidance and upbringing. And that day and time, the Jewish men were required to go Jerusalem for worship, but their family was not required to go. But when Joseph and Mary took Jesus and took the family, that tells you that, that they were spiritually focused people. 
And they took their family to worship. And we know from Luke chapter 2 that they went back toward their home without Jesus. When they found out He wasn't with them, they returned to the temple and they found Him conversing with the doctors of the law. And when they questioned Him about that, His response was, Do you not know I must be about my Father's business? You see, He was first of all committed to the spiritual Father and He wanted to make sure that He was doing His will and His purpose. So when you read passages like Ephesians chapter 5 and husbands are told to treat their wives the way Christ treated the church, we go back and see that you have to first of all recognize that you are to be committed to God and His purpose as that whole unique individual. But we also see in Luke chapter 2 that He's committed to God's plan. Because after that conversation in the temple, it says that He went home with them and He was subject unto them. Now what was read to us a moment ago from Ephesians chapter 5? Submit yourselves one to another. Oh, you know, not in our day and time. The the wife is not supposed to submit to the wife. And and that's kind of arrogant and chauvinistic. And go back and look at the text and look at who is prescribing that for us. And see what kind of submission he's talking about. The kind of submission that he practiced himself. Now here's God on earth. We know according to Romans, uh, rather John chapter 1, that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that He became flesh and dwelt among us. And so this God on earth is going home with Joseph and Mary, and He is submitting to them. Because He is committed to God and to God's plan and purpose. Now the passage from Ephesians 5 said we are to submit to one another. Now we do that because, first of all, we are submitted to God and to His purpose. It's important that we do that. And that we never stop growing in that relationship with God, nor stop growing in our relationship with each other. Because you go back to Luke chapter 2, and it said that Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and Verse 7, it emphasizes that we as husbands are to dwell with our wives according to knowledge. If you're doing it right, you're going to grow in that knowledge because the longer you share life together, the more you know about each other, the more you care about each other, the more you committed to each other, and you dwell with them according to knowledge. A lot of time in, in counseling with couples, men will say, I, I just don't understand them. And I say, you have to. Well, I, I just, I don't understand them. I'll say, you have to. You have to dwell with them according to knowledge. Ask them. First of all, know who you ought to be in your relationship with God. Help them be who they ought to be in a relationship with God. And then ask them what it is that's important to them. Ask them what you can do to assist them and help them. Ask them how you can respond to that cry in that relationship. Ask them. Dwell with them with that kind of knowledge. Jesus practiced that. He was an example of that. He went home with Joseph and Mary, though it's obvious that he knew more than they knew. But here's what he knew first of all. That God had ordained that a man would leave his father and mother. He would cleave to his wife 
and they twain would be one flesh. And he knew that in that relationship that they would bring up children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. He knew this was God's plan and God's purpose. He submitted to it. And if God incarnate can submit to it, you and I can submit to that will. We're committed, first of all, to Him. And then we are committed to His plan and His purpose for our lives. I think it's interesting when we practice that and then we bring up our children in the nurture and admonition of that, that we'll always have fortified families. We'll always have strong, vibrant families. And these are things that you're not going to learn from some textbook somewhere. And by the way, in my educational experience, I've been forced to read hundreds of books. And I've learned something from every book I've read, but here's what I can tell you without reservation, without hesitation. Every book I've ever read that had a principle that worked, listen carefully to me, that had a principle that worked is a Bible principle. Now the person who wrote the textbook may not have ever read the Bible, may not know that that's a Bible principle, but through trial and error they tried things and this didn't work, and they tried this and it didn't work, and they tried something and it worked, and they said, I've got to tell folks that this works. If you'll do these things, it works. And when I read it, because all of my life I've been exposed to the Scriptures, my very earliest memories are my mother reading the Scriptures. I fell asleep every night with my mother reading the Scriptures. So I've been exposed to the Scriptures all my life, and when I read those books and these people are making money off or selling these textbooks, and I think, I've already had that knowledge. What a gracious, precious thing it is to have the book, the textbook for life that you and I can read and study and make application of and commit ourselves to being faithful to and through that fortify our own relationship to God and fortify our relationship and our married relationship and fortify an environment where our children can be brought up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Joseph and Mary provided such an environment for their children they were responsible for. And we know Jesus... Father was the Heavenly Father, but the Heavenly Father committed him into a family just like he designed it. And he allowed him to be raised from infancy in that environment. And Jesus willingly, purposefully submitted to it. And we know, even in Jesus' sojourn here on this earth, there were times when there were complications in those relationships. Even His own brethren didn't really believe who He was for a period of time. But He still remained focused, committed to the Heavenly Father and His business. He stayed committed to God's plan for the family. And therefore, when you read Ephesians chapter 5, you have someone who practiced everything that they expect of us. Therefore, husbands can love their wives the way Christ loved the church and gave Himself for it. 
And therefore, wives can submit themselves to their husbands, recognizing if their husband is being like Christ was to the church, they'll be protected and cared for, and they're willingly going to submit to God's plan and God's purpose and God's will and God's template. And through that process, we submit to one another. And with that being said, God then can present the spiritual body of the church to Himself as this bride without spot, without blemish. We need to commit ourselves to that kind of understanding of what it means to fortify the family. Not disconnected from what we're talking about. You see, when we give life to a relationship in marriage, then there are certain things that have to be cared for. And when we bring children into this marital relationship, they have to be taught and they have to be cared for. Not the purpose of this particular presentation, and, but as a matter of conclusion. I've always been fascinated. In John chapter 21, when Jesus is about to be removed from the presence of His disciples for the final time, and he's got them gathered before him, and he's having a specific conversation with, with Peter. And he asked Peter if he loved him. And Peter said, Lord, you know I love you. And he asked him that three times, and sometimes we get a little lost in why he asked him three times. Maybe it was because he denied him three times. But what we often overlook is what Jesus said all three times. He said, feed my sheep. You see, in a spiritual context, these are the children, the sheep. They have to be fed. Following Ephesians chapter 5 is Ephesians chapter 6. And fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture of the admonition of the Lord. There's feeding that has to take place. Not just physical feeding. There's spiritual nourishment. And Jesus was saying to Peter, Peter's the one that drew his sword and willing to take on the world and to die for the Lord. And he's in essence telling Peter, I need you to live for me. And I need you to feed my sheep. My children have to be fed. I need you to feed them. You see, this spiritual marriage between Christ and His church, when there is a need for that child to be fed and for that spiritual child to be cared for and for that crying child to be comforted, we have to share in that relationship with Christ. He's done His part. He shed His blood. Now He needs us. To feed his sheep. When you look at 1 Peter chapter 5, Jesus allows the Holy Spirit to record for us Peter's response to his fellow elders. And you know what he said to them? That they were to take heed to the flock. They were to tend the flock, feed the flock. He said, because when the chief shepherd shall appear. He was fully conscious of what their work was supposed to be. A spiritual caring for those under their care. That's what it's all about. That's what fortifying the family requires us to do. 
be everything we're supposed to be as whole, unique individuals, and to make sure that we're like Christ was and we submit not only to God's will and purpose for our individual lives, but submit to our family responsibilities the way God would expect us to. We'll talk about that in more detail this afternoon. But if you're here this morning and you're not a child of God, I want you to say that.